Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello and welcome to this week's Dividend Cafe podcast and video. I am actually, uh, once again, I think I did this a couple months ago, recording from my little spot here near LAX as I'm getting ready to fly back to New York City. And uh, as I'm sitting here recording, it's Friday morning, and so market's open. It's up big. It's had a couple down days, a couple big up days here more recently, but uh, more volatility. A lot of the same things that we were talking about last week have returned to markets this week. And yet I'm not really talking about a lot of that here today. I'm more talking about what I think is one of the big subjects that underlies it, and that is this uh, continual conversation around inflation. We um, have a lot to say about this subject, but I don't think much of what I'm saying about it or have said about it this year is really in the same context as what people are hearing day by day, week by week in the news and and websites and and social media and, and things like that. So I'm hoping that what we have going here today is a little bit more thoughtful, but also more practical conversation uh, about the subject of inflation. Now, I had intended this week to do a kind of big recap of all the takeaways from the Malden Strategic Investment Conference that um, concluded last Friday. Uh, It was a a virtual conference this year, and it had started um, a week and a half before that. So it was a pretty robust conference with some of the leading uh, economists and 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 thought leaders and portfolio minds, not just in the country but around the world, and and I say that despite the fact that that I was one of the speakers as well. Um, so present company excluded, there was really a lot there that I think warrants me covering it here in the Dividend Cafe. But um, I ended up getting kind of inspired away from that, and I want to put the right time into that uh, conference recap, because even though most of the people who would be listening and reading Dividend Cafe weren't a part of the conference and and may not find me giving a play-by-play of it to be that uh, interesting, what I'm actually going to do is write around a lot of the topics that came up out of the conference that I think have tremendous practical bearing on what investors who read and listen to Dividend Cafe do care about. So I will save that for next week, and, and I think I'll have the right time in New York to, to devote to that. But I ended up doing a Dividend Cafe today that I think is very important, and it does cover a lot of issues that matter. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased with the way it came out, but it is one of those things that just a simple Dividend Cafe, whether it's a podcast or video or, or even the written DividendCafe.com, can't fully and exhaustively cover. There is a lot of nuance, a lot of complexity to the overall topic. But I think that what I've done is try to simplify it into some of the categories that I think are are helpful. What I won't do right now is rehash the main issue that I've been covering for a long, long time, which is the deflationary pressures that I'm convinced are predominant macroeconomically as a result of excessive indebtedness in sovereign developed countries. Uh, And right now I speak first and foremost, the United States. That Japanification idea is indeed my working thesis, very, very high conviction thesis as to what's taking place in the United States. 
But that is not the subject, and it's not the category of subject that we are really talking about right now. When this word transitory has become this kind of household term, so to speak, um, you have the Fed saying, yes, we see pricing pressures, we believe they're transitory. And, and you have different economists and, and, and people even like myself that will come up and have an opinion as to whether or not the issues that we face are transitory or not. And, and what I want to suggest is that there's a lot we're kind of missing in the whole discussion. First of all, we, we need to go back to Milton Friedman's great words of wisdom, which is that inflation is always and forever a monetary phenomena. And that's most certainly true. But um, I, I plagiarized, well, I didn't plagiarize because I gave him credit, but I borrow from Charles Gove, who is one of my favorite living economists uh, in Paris this week, who had said, saying that inflation is always a monetary phenomena, that it's always related to a growth of money supply is true, but it is not the same thing as saying that all growth in money supply is inflation. Uh, in other words, it's the classic um, necessary but not sufficient condition. When you have a growth in money supply, it does not mean you have inflation, but you will not have inflation without a growth in money supply. Easy enough. So the great example would be the quantitative easing moments out of the financial crisis. A lot of people saw this increased money supply. They saw what they called somewhat imprecisely, but we'll just play along money printing, and said, look, this is clearly going to be inflationary. It proved to be anything but. And the reason for that was that that increase in quote-unquote money supply did nothing whatsoever to contribute to velocity of money, to its turnover in the economy, to its circulation and use in the economy. It added up bank reserves. It did things. It, it added to asset prices. It compressed credit spreads. It, it you could argue, exacerbated the the wealth inequality divide. I mean, there, there are things it did for good or for bad, but it uh, was not inflationary. But then you say, okay, well, wait a second, right here, post COVID, we're doing that. There's a lot of this QE going on. They're buying $120 billion of government bonds per month, 80 treasury, 40 mortgage. Um, and, and so you see a lot more of that happening, but there's another form of money printing in the form of direct payments to taxpayers. We gave everybody under certain income thresholds $2,000 um, uh, about a year ago. We gave them another 600 bucks right at the turn of this year. We just gave them another 1400 bucks last month. So that represents you know hundreds of billions circulating around and we have the federal unemployment benefit. So, okay, that's a bit different, right? That's different than the quantitative easing. At the point of determining inflationary impact, I think it's important to understand our categories that we're trying to decide whether or not that money will circulate throughout the economy, create inflationary price pressures, and whether or not that will last, whether or not that's sustainable. That's what the word transitory means. Is it kind of um, a one-time issue, a short-term phenomena, or is it something that's going to have more lasting impact? And ultimately, you could argue if you're willing to isolate the uh, inflationary pressures from government payments, direct payments, then you might have to say, well, it depend if those payments prove to be transitory or not. 
that maybe the payments were transitory and there will be a inflationary impact that's transitory, but then cyclically, cyclically that will die off. What I would like to point out is that the part of inflation, meaning prices going higher, that I very much believe in, I don't believe is transitory, and yet I'm a deflationista. So what do I mean by this? What I mean is that there is non-transitory price increases in things that I don't believe are related to monetary inflation at all. And this is what the nuance is that frustrates me so much. I want to talk over and over and over again about the totally unacceptable price increases in higher education, healthcare costs, and housing. And other people want to talk over and over about inflation. But I don't believe those two things are the same. And so the nuance makes it impossible to talk about the one because the other has sort of dominated the conversation. It's simpler. It's more friendly to sound bites. Just like I said, not all increases in the money supply are necessarily inflationary. Not all increase in prices in things, the categories we're talking about, necessarily come from monetary inflation. And so you have policy issues, cultural issues, a whole lot of things I won't get into now that I think need not only attention, maybe require the most important attention in our society. And, and some of them have portfolio ramifications around housing, uh, real estate, et cetera. Some may not at all. Um, but I think at one level or another, these are crucial topics that because they're not being read through a quick and easy and frankly, politically convenient um, lens or prism, they're not being fully understood. My view about the long-term uh, inflation-deflation debate has been and will be and is that there are uh, that there is a debt feedback loop that is putting deflationary pressures in the American economy. Now, one of the things I talk about in this week's DividendCafe.com is that there is, um, I think, other factors that have to be considered in all of this. I certainly agree that we have an impact in um, deflationary uh, uh, factors from technology, globalization, uh, demographics, other such things, more predominantly with some of those in Japan, some in the US, some of them, though, very global. Now, my friend uh, Louis Gov, who, who is all, uh, just absolutely phenomenal economist, he happens to be Charles' son, and I mentioned Charles earlier, but he wrote a piece this week that utterly ju just absolutely enthralled me. It was brilliant, it was fascinating, and it's a lot to, to chew on. But his suggestion, was that there was a really multi-decade uh, uh, event that has been playing out that was clearly part of the deflationary pressures in the United States, Japan, and Europe over the last 20, 25 years, which is a couple billion new workers entering the global economy out of China and other uh, Pan-Asian countries as well, ex-Japan. And that essentially... They used their currency and created this high production economy to feed the consumption of the developed world, which was very deflationary to us and, and allowed them to sort of enter the global economic stage. There's very little to dispute in Lewis's theses, 
but studying what impact they had to the deflation effect in the United States, I think is fascinating. It's something I want to very much un- unpack. Um, I don't believe that any of this stuff is helpful to try to isolate to one particular thing. There is sometimes multiple factors that play into some of this and therefore has to be studied that way. And then you might have to draw multiple conclusions out of it. And I've talked about this before, but from a practical standpoint for, for my clients, um, I'm very much studying whether or not I want to reposition some of our fixed income assets around this thematic um, understanding of, of Asian shift in the global economy, where their currency is, where their rate market is relative to where our currency is and our rate market is. I believe that it warrants further discussion. I'm not ready to act on it. I will not do this quickly. But I also think that when we talk about inflation, deflation, if what we're talking about, which is what the news is talking about, it's what Twitter is talking about, and it's probably what most of you are talking about, to be, to be fair, if we're talking about whether or not the CPI went up last month or what lumber prices are doing, that is a just totally different conversation than where we believe interest rates are going to be in Asia, where the US dollar is going to be for the next five or 10 years. And I'm very focused on that macroeconomic trend. And then to the extent people go, well, you don't think it matters what people pay in prices. I say, look, I think if airfare costs are going higher or lumber prices are going higher this quarter, that matters to people who are buying airfare and lumber. It's not an investable thesis, but if we're talking about where it becomes investable, it's evidenced in the rate markets, how we look at bond yields. And if we really want to talk about something that is permeating all society, then we're looking at housing, higher education, and healthcare costs. Those are the three categories that I do believe face upward pressure in prices since I was a little kid. And I believe none of those things are indicative of monetary inflation, that they're being driven higher by other cultural and policy phenomena that I think are very problematic, but again, need to be isolated in the conversation. So that's where we're headed with this. We want to unpack what is macro inflation, deflation, I've talked enough. I think um, I'll keep doing it, but I have talked a lot about where the underlying deflationary pressure comes from in the U.S. being excessive indebtedness. We want to look at how this interacts on a global economic stage with China going forward, what the investor impact is as it pertains to the bond market, currency, interest rates. And then when we want to break it down into short-term considerations, I'm sorry, but there is no possible way that one month's report and the CPI has gone up or gone down is going to lead anyone to say, see, I told you so, or we should have done this, or, well, look at the 10-year bond yield moved up four basis points today. What does this mean we should do? All of these things can be destabilizing on a day-by-day basis, but if they weren't, something else would be. That normal market noise is just ridiculous. It is totally unhelpful or unuseful to any serious investor. And because most of the conversation driving it is unhelpful, we can avoid all of that. I want to talk about the serious things that will matter for your portfolio for the next 10 years. So I will leave it there. I know some of this stuff is rather heavy. Please do read DividendCafe.com. I always think I articulate these things better in written word than I do spoken. But I've done my best here. I got to jump on a plane and please reach out with any questions you have anytime. Thank you, as always, for listening to and watching the Dividend Cafe. Please put us as a part of your feed. Subscribe. It helps us. It helps you. And uh, thank you again. Have a wonderful weekend. 
The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonson Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.